what a beautiful image that is, that as a church, we're a tapestry of grace. So we explore part of that this morning as we dive into that Matthew passage, but you pray with me as we prepare our hearts. We give thanks, oh gracious God, for this gathered people, and we give thanks that your deep desire is to work in us and among us and between us and through us. And so we pray, come, Holy Spirit, Awaken us, stir us, disturb us, have your way in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What a beautiful day to be with you and to see all those children up front in these dedications. And I really love those moments in the church in which, whether it's dedications or baptisms or installations of pastors, those moments where the church is asked, are you ready? Are you committing? Are you willing to live the life of Christ and to love in the way of God? The ways in which you love somebody of I'm with you and I'm for you and I'm for God's purposes in your life and I'm committing to that. And I think there's always in those commitments that prayer, by the help of the Holy Spirit, I make those commitments, right? But I also find myself at some of those points and moments of, of wondering and praying for the children that are being dedicated and brought into the church, that they would encounter a church that is alive, that is vibrant, that is a witness to the fullness of God's kingdom. And that doesn't mean a church that's perfect, but it means a church that is being formed and reformed by the presence of Christ and the call of Christ and the teachings of Christ. That there's something alive that when they inevitably come to places of wondering, maybe doubting, maybe thinking and, and, and trying to figure it out, there's something about their experience with the church that says, with all that I don't know, I know this was true. With all that, that I'm wrestling with, I can't escape the witness of my church in the way that they lived it out. Does that make sense? Like, I know that prayer made a difference. I know that they lived it out with honesty and truth. I know that I saw the ways in which they lived out the call of God. Most of all, and I pray this not only for these children, certainly, but I, when I'm sending college students out to local churches or when they graduate or as I watch my own young adult children kind of navigate finding a church home, I want them to find a church that is the salt of the earth. I want them to find a church that's a light of the world. I want them to encounter a church that is alive unto God and giving a witness to the abundance of the experience of God's grace, but a church that is allowing that grace to pour out in radical ways, in ways that are beyond measure, in ways that are beyond reason, that we would give away so much that people go, what is that about? And I think one of the things when we look at this uh, passage that this, this, this really this commissioning, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, to not hear it just as a kind of added list on your long list of things to do, 
but actually see it as almost a natural exhale to the inhale of the blessings. That this natural exhale that comes as you live into all that is being offered to you. To be a people who are merciful, for they will receive mercy, right? To be a people who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. That somehow in the filling, there's an outpouring of who you are into the world. And that when people talk about your church outside of these walls, they say things like, Oh, they're the first ones to show up. They're the merciful ones. They're the ones that give away. They're the ones that care deeply. They're the ones that walk faithfully. That this is what not only these children this morning would encounter in their life within the church, but that we encounter together. There's something in here that, that is its deep call to be a people that certainly receive all that God has for us, but that we carry it into the world. Because there's no way you can be salt of the earth unless you're out there, right? There's gotta be proximity, there's gotta be presence. And there's no way you can be the light of the world if you close your windows and huddle in. You've got to bear that light out into the world. This, this movement, though, isn't just to be this kind of linear that I receive from God and then I let that pour out to me into the world, but what we see within scriptures and the stories of scriptures is this witness that, that then as I'm engaged in the world, my heart is formed, that my heart is reformed in the ways of Christ, that there's, there's this movement of the Spirit that comes back into my life. And so it, it's, it's not just that then I go out and do good deeds. And I loved the way that it was read this morning when it says, may we see your good works, and it was God works. And I think that's, that's a great way of saying that phrase, that you would see the God works in the world and that God would be glorified by people's encounters with you. That the ways in which you love, the ways in which you serve, the ways in which you give would befuddle your neighbors. And they would wonder why you do that. And they might actually even ask you that. You can't get away from this call within the New Testament, right? You can't get away from the great commandment, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and what? Love your neighbors yourself. They're held together. They have to be. It is who we are. It is our identity and our commissioning to be the salt and the light. That we have this vibrant, alive relationship with Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit always being formed, but that it would always be then lived out as love for neighbor. And we see that certainly in, the, in, the, in the, 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 the story of the Good Samaritan, right? That we're supposed to walk into our world and have our eyes open. We see it in the early church in Acts when we hear this, awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together, so you do come together, had things in common, like they took care of each other. There's ways in which they 
sold their possessions and goods and distributed those to all who had need. There was this kind of transparency of life together. Day by day, they spent much time in that temple, broke bread at home, ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. There's something about this coming together and then how they lived in the world that brought about goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. There's something about this invitation to be a people of God who are merciful and responsive and has ability to see that is this prayer that we be transformed in mercy. And I need that work of God in the spirit all the time. There's all sorts of ways in which my heart gets a little crusty, I would say, right? There's this prayer that I found that I, I just found so uh, powerful as it kind of explored the different ways we can invite the work of God's mercy in our life. And, and I, it's long, so I won't read it all, but I, I just want to give you a little bit of the cadence. And it's written by uh, Maria Fossman. Lord, I want to be transformed by your unfathomable mercy. So it begins with recognizing the mercies and the gifts of God the grace of God I've received already. And I pray that it would pass through my heart and soul to my, to my neighbor. And this is then the cadence that struck me. Help me, O oh Lord, to have eyes that are merciful, that look for what is beautiful in my neighbor's souls. Have you ever just liked walked across a park or a mall or someplace where you see crowded people and take a moment and look at the people and go, that is a beloved son of God. That's a beloved daughter of God. God desires so much for them. And I don't know their names, but I'm gonna pray for them, but begin to see them with those eyes of mercy. Help me, O oh Lord, to have ears that are merciful, that would hear and give heed to the neighbor's needs. Help me, O oh Lord, that my tongue be merciful and not speak negatively, but have a word of comfort and forgiveness for all. I, I had to stop on that one this week. Help me, O oh Lord, to have hands that are merciful, filled with good deeds and only good for my neighbors. Help, O oh Lord, that my feet would be merciful, that I would hurry to assist my neighbor. Help me, O oh Lord, to have a heart that is merciful, to feel the sufferings of my neighbor. May your mercy, O oh Lord, rest upon me. There's something in there that speaks to me about this, this, this journey and this call for God to work in us beyond our imaginations and to participate in this good news that is for all people. For all people. And this Acts passage just continues to have that kind of gathering and movement, that coming together and that sending forth that made them truly salt and light. And there's something about that engagement that is more than certainly giving is important, certainly engaging those opportunities support is important, but there's also a point of which we need to pull close, like Pastor Joe was talking about, and hear the story of another 
and have that person become real. And the way that he now carries that one person in prayer and the way it softened his heart. You can see the ways in which that's a means of grace in his life. John Wesley, in a sermon, uh, Visiting of the Sick, said this. Uh, a wealthy person said, but I can send a physician to those that are sick, and he can do them more good than I can. And Wesley's response, he can in one respect. He can do them more good with regard to their bodily health, but he cannot do them more good with regard to their souls, which are infinitely greater importance. And if he could, that still would not excuse you. John Wesley wasn't afraid of calling you out. His going would not fulfill your duty, neither would it do the same good to you, unless you saw them with your own eyes. If you do not, you lose a means of grace. You lose an excellent means of increasing your thankfulness to God, who saves you. And then he goes on to say, as well as of increasing your sympathy with the afflicted, your benevolence and all social affections. One great reason, John Wesley says, why the rich in general have so little sympathy for the poor is that because they so seldom visit them. That when we begin to hear the story up close, we begin to go, oh, yes, I see how you are in this place. Oh, yes, I mourn with you and grieve with you what you experienced. Oh, yes, I am your brother. I am your sister. There's something always within us that we are beginning, we are continually called to be people who have our hearts to be like God's heart, to break open for those of our neighbors who need, who are far away, who live in places of challenge. And I think there's this place, there's this place to to recognize that the loss of when we're not the salt and when we're not the light is certainly for the church. There's a loss of who we are, not living into our calling and our vocation and our commissioning that Jesus spoke over us. But there's a grief that is part of our community. There's this loss, sometimes not even naming it. They, they, the community might not say, this is because the church has faltered, it is not salt and light. But there's a grief in the community because of the lack of hope because of the lack of grace, because of the lack of light that guides a way and provides a way forward. And so there's this place in which individually and as a church, sometimes we need to confess. We need to confess what's taken over us versus this kind of radical grace that pours through us. And it's a confession that um, I think is, is important, not as a rebellious child. I mean, that, there's place for that kind of confession for sure within the church. But there's also the place of what's consumed me? What have I been inhaling and exhaling into the world? What have, have I been inhaling this grace and exhaling this grace? Or have I been inhaling other things and exhaling division? And hate. Like what, what's moving through me? And I was, found this other prayer. I'm in this uh, discipleship group, so some of these prayers come from that, so give thanks for them for their provision. But this prayer 
that has some hand motions to it that I'm going to invite you to do. It begins with taking your hand and making a fist. And it says this, Lord, I confess to you that I have spent too much time fighting. I confess to you that I fight against you sometimes and your plans and your wills and that I'm, I'm in the defense and offense and I am reactive and I pray as I recognize that this is not how you live, that I, by your spirit, would open my hands and open your hands. And I surrender to you all of who I am, all of who I have, and I choose surrender in your presence. Help me to put down the fists. And now take your hands and clench them like you're holding on to something tight. Lord, I confess I spend too much time desperately trying to hold on to what I believe to be mine. That I believe will give me security and safety that I believe I deserve and I've earned. I confess that these hands that grip so hard do not reflect how you've lived and how I've experienced you. And instead I choose and pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would help me to open my hands to choose to receive you and to give to others this day. I pray in your name to choose generosity. Generosity of giving, generosity of responding, generosity of spirit, generosity of assumptions, generosity that goes deep and wide. Now I ask you to take your hands and fold them over yourself like you're protecting your heart. Lord, I confess that I can defend and put up walls, that I can be afraid to encounter others who are different than me, that I, I hold myself apart. I confess the places where I'm cynical or entrenched. I confess the ways in which I live with these walls when you by your spirit, invite me to open those arms, that I would then reflect the way you've lived, that I would choose openness to your ways and your mission, that I would be daring and powerful in the name of Jesus Christ to embrace the adventure you call us into, that we would choose mission, and that we would walk in your ways. We pray this. In the powerful name of Jesus, amen, amen. That kind of confession calls me out of myself and to recognize sometimes you don't even realize you've been fisting or clenching or protecting in ways that keep you apart from others. There's this beautiful imagery within the holiness of Jesus compared to some of the way holiness was taught before, which was that, the, that this, this kind of sense that you needed to keep yourself apart from that which was unholy because it could invade you, right? So there were the practices of, of people not allowed to touch others because they, there's some sort of invasion of the lack of, the, of what's happening in their lives. And what do you see with Jesus instead? Jesus has this powerful confidence that the holiness within him can invade others. That the woman who reaches out 
with the bleeding is not a danger to him, but instead he can bring healing to her life, right? That, that, that those who have been set apart like lepers could come near. And that as we go out, we do not need to be afraid if we are ones inhaling the very presence of Christ as we gather, that we can go out courageously and boldly into our world and expect that something within us might be contagious to others. Hebrews 10 kind of sums up this, this call for me and in the 10th chapter. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from the evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. All of this beautiful good news of the gospel. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he has promised to be faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds. And, you see that and? Love God love your neighbor, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. There's something beautiful for us to capture there. There's something courageous for us to live into there. There's something transformative us for us to receive and offer as a people who are called and commissioned to be the light of the world, salt of the earth. I don't know about you, but I can't read that passage without thinking of that children's song, This Little Light of Mine. And I think it's a powerful one because it really is a sending song. I've asked that we close with that song as a way of both praying that we would carry that light and be that light. And I think that part of it is to hear that that does not happen alone, that we do it together. And so we'll play a little with the language of both being this little light of mine, but this little light of ours. And so we're going to close, and this really is your benediction, this song over you, that you would go forth into the world, courageous, knowing that God is able to do amazing things in you and through you beyond your imagination and that you can live with open hands, open heart, boldly walking with your neighbors. Amen.